Welcome to the Arrive Podcast, the U.S. Immigration Law Podcast for Canadians. I am Jeremy Richards, and I'm here with my business partner and fellow immigration attorney, Christine Jerusik. Together, we are Richards and Jerusik Immigration Law, practicing U.S. immigration law from our offices in Buffalo, New York, and Toronto, Ontario. And we help Canadians to work and live in the United States. If you haven't already, please follow and like us on your podcast app. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, uh, Richards and Jerusik Immigration Law. And follow us and like us on, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram uh, for regular updates on U.S. immigration law uh, that we have created just for Canadians. Uh, in addition, on our website, there is a resources tab where you can subscribe to a weekly newsletter where you will receive all our recent updates and posts about U.S. immigration law as well. Uh, welcome to another episode. Today we are going to follow the same format we've been following in the last couple episodes. We're going to go over some updates in immigration law uh, that have happened throughout the last month. Uh, we're going to talk about some case results that we've recently had and some questions that we've been receiving. Specifically today we're going to talk a lot about some TN visa frequently asked questions for people that are working in the United States on TN visas and we've actually put together a great resource on our website that that includes all of these questions in, in one location. So if you have questions about working in the U.S. on a TMV set, we're going to cover a lot of those questions today on, on this episode. Um, so we'll go straight into uh, updates. the updates. On, in the latest news in immigration law, the H-1B lottery, there were some fraudulent some. actors. Some? There were some, yeah. So if you look at the Dozens. data... <laughs> 400,000? Well, in the individual's side, yeah, 400,000, but um, the employer side. So there's a lot of bad actors, employers and employees. So there were double the amount of H-1B entries from last year. So what did that mean? About 8% of people got selected this year. Yeah, that's really low. Because of fraud. So we we should expect some major changes to the H-1B lottery system next year. Hopefully, they limit it to one, one entry per potential employee. I think that would do away with a lot of what happened. So what, yeah, what happened here was it. you have all... It, this is according to Wall Street Journal and these other you know news outlets that reported on this. What they said happened was you have a lot of these placement agencies for IT companies where they have contracts and they place their employees according to their contracts. And they all got in... <laughs> together and they said hey i'm going to do a lottery for this individual will you do one too and i'll do one for your employee so all of these companies got together and they all entered their own employees or potential employees into the lottery but then they also entered them for all of these other it sourcing companies as well so they all got together and they they submitted thousands of selections for the same individuals across the board so you had so individuals were in there multiple times for different employers which i guess was a loophole ones on average i think it was like four registrations per Per individual yeah ridiculous Um, but the, the the problem with that is that uscis requires when you enter a registration that you need to have a position for this person you need to have a job available for them um, and so these placement agencies were then, and, and this has been, yeah, they don't have anything by, yet. Yeah. This has been reported by, um, other practitioners in the area. We didn't have any, um, of our clients come back to us with this information, 
or any of our. And now that I think about it, though, some of the people that I talked to had some. They were employees, and they were fishing for this type of stuff. No, I did too. I talked to a couple we didn't people that were asking whether or not they could do that. Yeah, we did not. Um, but the what, what happened then? I heard from other practitioners is that they had um, their employer clients come to them and say, hey, so my guy didn't make it into the lottery. He didn't get chosen. But this placement agency came to me and said, hey, if you want to hire him through us and oh, pay us a selected. fee of $25,000, he's been selected through us and we're a placement agency and we'll place him with your company. But we're going to hold him hostage for this $25,000 fee that you have to pay us. Yeah. So that is, I mean, that's Suspect. true fraud right there. Yes. And they're going to be prosecuting these these companies and individuals that that participated in this scheme. So, hopefully, they hit them hard, um, and hopefully, these people are banned from ever participating in the lottery again for for what they did. Uh, it it ruins the opportunity for a lot of people to work in the United States with this limited. There's only eighty five thousand with the cap available. Yeah. And when you have eight over eight hundred thousand people entering into it, it, it's a true lottery. It's like going to Vegas at this point. So well, yeah, then, hopefully they fix it. Yeah, these bad actors have decided to game the system and hopefully there's consequences for this and then there's changes to the way for it's both employee and employer, I think they should all be slapped and slapped hard with some fine penalties. Something needs to happen. Yeah, I, I mean... Got to prevent it somehow. I'm not sure if the employees, a lot of them were aware that it was fraudulent. I mean, there is that too. There's <laughs> a possibility. I know you're giving me that look yeah. like <laughs> I'm being I naive about this. I guarantee they knew but about it. Yeah, I, I mean, there's a chance they did, but I, I'm not sure how hard they'll come down on the actual employee. I think it's the employer that they're they're looking at more closely now. So hopefully it gets fixed. Uh, other, and on other news, we also have um, changes to the border rules Yay! with regards to the COVID vaccination requirement. This is when you clap and I know everybody's excited about this one. Because if you're Canadian and you're unvaccinated, you can come to the U.S. now starting on May 11th without proof of vaccination. Right. And that now just keep in mind that means um, that's for travelers by air. Um, and by land, I think this I think big changes by land. This is the this is the huge one because it was all uncertain with the latest announcement, mm -hmm. and they just clarified that land travelers going on on are starting on May 11th will no longer be required to provide proof of vaccination. So everybody who's been waiting to come shop in the U.S. or conduct business or visit the U.S. because of that that travel restriction, well, starting on May 11th, yeah, I mean, I have come back. I have a client who's had an E2 visa. Um, since just before COVID, um, unvaccinated, and he's in Sweden. He hasn't been able to come over and take advantage of that E2 and run his business in the United States because uh, of that uh, vaccination requirement, and he, he was unwilling to submit to it. So um, I think this is going to free up a lot of travel. Yeah, um, welcome. The, yeah, it is, and, and hopefully the next one will be to remove the vaccination requirement for immigration to the United States. We have a lot of clients that are... We'll see if that one happens. I'm less optimistic about that. Yeah, that this because is going to go away. They have the flu vaccination that's required during flu season. They have other vaccinations yeah. that are required. So, Have you ever seen them take a vaccination off that list? No. Or the medical? Not for an immigrant visa. No, me neither. So we'll see what happens there. Yeah, and I had a client just recently who hasn't come across because he was on a TN. Hey, what's going to happen with this border restriction with COVID? Can I come back? And a week later, here we go. Yep, yep. you can start coming back. Yeah, so, without issue. 
Good news. Also, um, USCIS is now requiring something that we've been doing kind of by just by nature, but they're going to ask you to submit your fees in separate checks if you're going to be filing with check payment from now on for the filing fees. Uh, so, so make sure that you, each of the, so, and, and by separate checks, I mean each of the um, separate filing fees. So for example, some forms require filing, filing fee. fee, and then there's also a biometrics fee that's yep. involved with certain forms. Um, you will need two separate checks for those types of uh, fee payments. Um, also, and if you're filing more than one form at a time, you'll need a separate check for each of those forms. Yeah, so you're, for your standard, you know, adjustment of status through marriage to a U.S. citizen, you're filing an I-130 petition, I-45 petition. You need to check for the I-130. You need to check for the I-45, as well as that biometric fee. All separate checks, and they could reject it if you send them in one payment form. Yeah, and we've been seeing. And as a side note, we've been seeing a lot of issues with individuals who try to pay by credit card. And it's because their credit cards don't necessarily have the limit authorization for the fee that USCIS is trying to uh, charge them. And if that happens and you're trying to pay by credit card and you haven't told your credit card company that uh, this transaction is going to happen, they'll reject your case. So be careful if you're also paying by credit card. Make sure that you're Make sure your bank knows that your card is going to be charged in the United States too. For this amount, yes. Sometimes there's a fraud alert put on your account. Foreign transaction and they're like, oops, fraud. And that it's authorized for the amount um, in U.S. dollars. So I think, you know, a lot of people think maybe they're Canadian and they've got, oh yeah, I'm authorized for, you know, up to $3,000 Canadian. And then they realize, oh, their fees are actually more than that because it's USD. So... Um, just be aware of that, you know, difficulty, maybe avoid, reject, avoid getting your case rejected. Yeah. May make more sense to pay by check if you're able to do that. I think check's the best option in my opinion. All right. The most exciting news of the day. Well, our radio ad is up and running. Yay. Yeah. So we recently launched a radio campaign. Um, so for those of you who listen to talk radio, some of you may, some of you may not, uh, WBEN is a local radio station here in Buffalo, New York, 9.30 a.m. It also has a broad reach into Canada. So if you're in the Ontario, Toronto area, um, a lot of Canadians call in on the show too. So listen up uh, for our ad. You may hear it on 9.30 a.m. WBEN. um, And we'll also take a, a second here so we'll play it for you so you can listen to it. Need help with an immigration matter? The lawyers at Richards & Jerusik only practice immigration law. This is Jeremy Richards. Our experienced attorneys are able to guide you through the complex immigration process. And this is Christine Jerusik. We help with everything from work visas to green cards, citizenship to deportation defense and admissibility issues to Canada or the U.S. Call Richards & Jerusik Immigration Law, 716-970-4007 or visit rjimmigrationlaw.com. Richards & Jerusik, Buffalo's full-service immigration law firm. 42 Delaware Avenue, Suite 710, Buffalo, New York. So I think they did a, a great job for the, on that ad. They coached Sounds us a little good. bit and, and helped us out. Um, but I think it gives the message that we want to deliver to to those that need help with immigration. And we do it all. We, we're a full service immigration law firm. Uh, so anything that you need from a work visa to a green card, entry to the United States, we're here for you. All right. We've got some exciting case results that have happened in the last month or so um, that have come through. And you know, in particular, I think we've, um, on my side, I did a, um, 
I helped a Chinese national get an L1B visa. And L1Bs, yeah. for everybody listening, L1Bs are traditionally a difficult status to get. They're not easy. So when, when you're talking about the difficulty of a work visa in the United States, I would say L1B is at the top of difficulty level. Because you have to prove that the... Because um, everyone's specialized, and yeah, that's what the they think. The employee has specialized knowledge, and so sometimes that can be a difficult thing to prove depending on the kind of documentation the employer gives you. But this this case, uh, it had a pretty hefty request for additional evidence, which we expect with these kind of cases. Um, but we were able to successfully respond to it and provide all the information necessary to get the individual approved, and they were pretty happy about that, both the employer and the employee. Yeah, so... Um, Traditionally, a very difficult uh, type of visa to get approved. Easier at the border, mm-hmm. more difficult by mail. Yeah, Canadians can do it at the border, but so this um, one this was by mail with USCIS, yeah. which I would say the difficulty level again is much higher. So, kudos, good result. Thanks. And then you had a nice result with a TN to green card situation. So we do a lot of. Uh, visas to green cards so there's actually a couple that we've had approved uh, actually quite a few that we've had approved recently the one of them that we talk about often is a non-controlled canadian to a green card in other words somebody comes in as a as a canadian visitor they don't receive an official stamp or entry into the united states they're just admitted on their status as a uh, visa exempt canadian and it was uh, the wife of a U.S. citizen and, and her children that came into the United States as non-controlled Canadians when they were here, uh, they decided, you know what, we want to make this stay permanent. So we filed all the necessary paperwork for her to uh, be able to receive a green card as well as her children through her marriage to her U.S. citizen spouse. So non-controlled Canadians that are here in the U.S. and looking to stay permanently, if you have the proper relationship to a U.S. citizen, then we can help. Uh, And we just had one of those approved recently, as well as TNV visa, a green card. Mm -hmm. Um, What happens a lot is you have the international couples living in in Canada who one of the spouses is a U.S. citizen and maybe they get transferred to the U.S. for work. Or maybe even the Canadian citizen gets transferred to the U.S. for work. And they're trying, they're, they're testing out the waters. They get here working on a TN visa and decide, you know what, I want to come to the United States permanently. Uh, I'm on a TN. My spouse is a U.S. citizen. How do I do that? I know the TN visa is a non-immigrant visa. In other words, I'm not supposed to have the intent to stay in the U.S. permanently, but our intent has changed since getting that TN and we want to stay permanently. What do we do? And if it's done properly, you can file for what's called adjustment of status here in the United States without having to leave the United States back to Canada. And you can transition straight from a TN visa to a green card. And we just recently had several of those approved. One of them was actually denied entry first because she she told the border she was coming in to, to oh, visit I her husband. that one, yeah. yeah. We talked about this a while ago. It's been ongoing, but they finally resolved and finally got her green card. So we were able to help her overcome that immigrant intent issue, get that TN visa, enter on the TN visa, then file through marriage to a U.S. citizen, and that journey for her has come to an end too. So... Nice. Anything, anytime you've entered the United States and you're looking to get a green card, TN visa, visitor, even L visa, H1B, whatever it might be, student visa, uh, we could potentially help you if you have a, the right relationship to a U.S. citizen. Yeah, and we also, I, I 
got a nice result this week with um, a business expansion situation. So Canadian family um, called me probably a couple years ago and said, hey, we want to expand our Canadian business to the United States. And our intention really is, you know, down the road possibly to get a green card. Uh, we'd like to live there. And they really followed our directions every step of the way. So the family initially got L1 visas. Um, they expanded their business successfully. They got the new office L1. Then we, um, at the three-year, at the at the one-year mark, we changed their L1 over to an um, existing office L1. Um, they got an extension on that. And then they filed the green card application. Uh, the petition uh, went off without a hitch, no RFE. Um, and then finally, they just got their green cards this week. So they were pretty happy. Um, they were great clients, followed along with everything we told them to do. Um, and it it was a great process, really smooth. In that is very important. Uh, the clients that actually listen to our advice and follow it have a much smoother yeah, process. Yeah, they were great clients. They just we, we often have individuals who question our advice. <laughs> and I'm in my question in, re, in return is, well, you don't have to <laughs> hire us. If you know the process better and want to do it on your own, go for it. Nobody's forcing you to work with us. But I will tell you, we've done this a lot, right? We know what we're doing. We're not telling you to do something that isn't going to be effective. Yeah. We're going to give you the pass, path of least resistance here to get your desired result. And we know the process and how it works. Um, so, yeah, that... That is very important. We, it's always good to work with clients that uh, appreciate our advice in, in what we do. Um, yeah, that family was an absolute pleasure. And they, every time we asked for a document or you know some evidence, they provided it without, without questioning why we needed it. Or um, they understood that we knew the process. And We don't ask for stuff yeah, that the government's either. not going to ask you for. We're not just... <laughs> out here to make your life difficult. And I think some people think that, yeah. why are you asking me for that? Well, because uh, I just want to see your passport photo. No, that's <laughs> not what we're requesting it for. Right. Oh, I just want to see your marriage certificate because, you know, I've never seen one from Thailand before. Can you show it to me? <laughs> no, the government wants to see it. These are documents the government's requesting. Well, why do I have to show you my, my disposition from the court? Well, because the government's going to ask you for it. Right, so yeah. either you can give it to me now or not give it, and they're going to ask for it later, and it's going to delay your case. So, yeah, it's always a delight to work with clients who don't push back when we ask for specific documents. Absolutely. And I understand you got a third approval for a management consultant on a TN. Yeah, that's that's, that's unusual. a unicorn right yeah, there, that's right? that's unusual for sure. Usually, and it depends on the situation. If you're a consultant working for a consulting company, they, they will typically renew oh, yeah, you indefinitely, that's, that's right? That's a different situation. But this was an independent consultant uh, working for the same entity, and it's a oh, third wow. approval. And this wow. was even by mail with USCIS, which is even more difficult. And it, it was approved without a request for evidence as well. So it sailed right through and got approved. So did this business have some kind of merger or acquisition that took place, that expand an expansion to justify it? No. Oh, okay. But we were able to <laughs> we were able to present it in a way that obviously it was approved. Yeah. They actually have stores all over the United States. Oh, it's a large employer. Then. Yeah. So we were able to position it that hey, now they're going to advise on some other stores. And gotcha. that's how it yeah. got approved. It, but the engagement expanded the I get it. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so well, that's congratulations. Yeah, management consultants are tough to get approved, period. Uh for a third time, 
yeah, that's that's unusual for sure. I mean, especially without a re- request for evidence. So. so now on to some FAQs. Yeah, absolutely. The TN. Let's start with this one that this. Questions. Let's start with this one that this individual uh, emailed in because I thought it was a good question, and it's not on the FAQs we're going to cover. Um, but somebody emailed in and they asked, "Hey." I'm departing the United States. I've been working here on a TN visa and I'm going back to Canada and I got this social security number. What do I do with it? Am I obligated to pay taxes in the U S because I have the social security number. So the social security number, if you get one and you're working in the United States as a non-immigrant, it has an annotation on it that says it's that it's valid only with approval from DHS, uh, that you have to have a valid work visa in order to use that social security number. So when you present that for employment in the U.S., they're going to also ask you for your visa. And if you show that along with your visa, then you can work for them. Well, when you depart the United States, this doesn't go in the garbage. That social security number is attached to you for life. So whether or not you're working in the U.S., you're going to have that social security number. It's to your advantage if you come back to work because you don't need to obtain a new one. Um, It's... However, you can't just come to the U.S. and work on it without getting a new visa. But at the same time, if you're not working in the United States, then you probably don't have a tax obligation attached to it. It doesn't mean you have to continue to pay taxes in the U.S. just because you have a Social Security number. And you need to clarify that with an account. I'm not, not, not giving tax advice. But if you're not working in the United States, that Social Security number simply is attached to you in the event that you come back to the U.S. You don't need a new one but you also don't need to worry about the fact that you have one. It's not something that obligates you to do anything in the United States. It just helps you when you come back. You don't have to get a new one. So we have a list of frequently asked questions for people working under a TN visa in the United States, and it's a pretty long list. It's, I'm, I'm looking at it now. I'm scrolling through. <laughs> There's a lot of information there. So let's just hit some of the most common ones because I don't think we're going to cover all of these. There's like 20 of them. Yeah, right. But if you go to our website, let's say you're working in the United States on a TN visa, it's under FAQs for employees working under TN visa status. So if you are or have questions, maybe you, you plan on working in the U.S. in TN visa status, if you go under there, there are a ton of questions and answers to those questions. And these are the ones that we receive most commonly for those working in the U.S. So one of them that jumps out at me is the, how do I get the TD status for my family members while I'm working on a TN? So I've been approved, now what? Because I've got a wife and a few kids or a husband and a couple kids that need to come with me to the United States. Um, what do I do? First of all, what's a dependent? I think we need to answer that first. Who qualifies as a dependent? Good question. So you have to be under the age of 21. So once you turn 21, you age out as a dependent. As a child. As a child. Yeah. So you no longer uh, have the, I guess, shelter of your parents and, and the benefits attached to, to being the child of a TM visa holder. So if you are the child or you have a child that is under the age of 21, they are still considered a dependent and they can get TD status. TD status, you need to be, you need to understand only grants authorization to live in the United States as a child. It doesn't grant work authorization as well as a spouse. So you can go to school. Go to right? school. But you can't get a part-time job. No. Okay. Can't work. I, we get that question a lot. My, my teenage daughter is, she's 16. She my wants spouse. to get a job. Oh yeah. You spouse can't as too. a spouse <laughs> either, which I'm that not quite sure why not. 
because yeah, they don't let TD spouses work. But you can't. No. But you can go to school, and that includes spouses. So how do you get them status? What do you do? They have to get their own. So you have to qualify on your own, and that's talking about a child or a parent or or a spouse. They have to individually qualify. I meant to get the TD. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Work status. Yeah. I'm going, so very simple process, right? Uh, you can just show up at any port of entry. You don't need an appointment to do this or pre-flight inspection at an airport. And you have to prove the relationship. So you prove it's your spouse, marriage certificate. You prove it's your child, birth certificate. Prove what their status is and this is or what their nationality is. This is important. You can't do it at a port of entry unless they are actually Canadian citizens, so if you have a spouse or child who is not a Canadian citizen, maybe they're permanent resident, they're going to have to get a visa through the consulate before they can get TD status. Yeah, I was advising a client once, and I just assumed that his spouse was Canadian. Uh, it was a bad assumption to make because I was like, just go to the border with the passport and the proof of your TN. Um, and he said, I'm here at the border, and they can't give her her uh, Where was she TD. From? They said she was from Lithuania. Oh, <laughs> she not going to work. Canadian citizenship yet. So I said, yeah, that's not going to work. You might just want to go but, back home. And but in that some. situation. But you know what happened? They ended up admitting her anyway because the family oh, was coming to work. As he a was visitor? coming to work. They admitted her as a visitor. We were able to change her status in the United States to, to TD. So that worked fine. Worked out okay. But Yeah, and that's <laughs> the other alternative. Presume, don't right? presume the spouse is Canadian. <laughs> but if So if they're not Canadian, you have two options. If they already have a visitor visa to the United States or the ability to travel as a visitor, they can enter as a visitor and then they can file the change status to TD when they're in the U.S. Or if they don't have that ability, they have to go to the consulate to get a a TD visa to enter the United States. So be aware of that. Totally. (laughs) And other than that, if if they're Canadian, you have their passport, proof of Canadian citizenship, Proof that they're your child through birth certificate. Proof and, of spouse through marriage certificate. And we mean original birth certificate. Original. An original marriage certificate. So don't show up with a photocopy or anything like that. You need the original document. And if they're with you, it's pretty straightforward. That's all you need. If they're not with you, they can still get it. They just need proof of who you are and your valid TN status as well. So a copy of your passport and a copy of your I-94 in addition to the marriage or birth certificates as well. And then they can they can get it without you. All right, you pick the next FAQ that you like. The next FAQ. Well, we'll talk about, let's see here. Well, let's talk about I-94s. So that's actually a change. Oh, that was supposed to be on our updates. We didn't talk about that. Oops. We'll talk about it now. So they have transitioned to fully electronic admissions to the United States. Um, And when you come into the United States, you get what's called an I-94 admission record. So we often get asked, well, what is that? What do I do with it? Well, the I-94 is your official proof of entry to the United States and official proof of what your actual status is. So that I-94 record of admission is very important. It's what you give to your employer to show you have a valid TN visa. It's what you give to the Social Security Administration to get a Social Security card. It's what you show at the DMV to get a driver's license. Very important document. And it's called an I-94 admission record. And traditionally, it was paper. And they would also stamp your passport. So you, the C- CBP is officially transitioning away from any physical entries. It's all electronic. So when you're entering now, they will give you an I-94, but it's electronic and it's attached to the passport that you gained entry to the United States on. So you can then go to CBP's I-94 lookup online 
enter in your password information and it'll pull up your electronic I-94. It's that actually, is I think it's, um, I don't think it's on the CBP site. I think it's through um, Department of State. CBP I-94 lookup is what I Google and it oh, pops really? up. Yeah. I always do the Department of State one. Yeah. So there may be multiple ways to get there. Yeah. Sounds like it. <laughs> but you can electronically pull it up because it's electronic now. Yeah. It's not physical. And that's yeah. the main point. You're not going to get, so if you worked in the U.S. on the TN before and you and you enter in your alarms because they didn't stamp you or they didn't give you a 994, well, they went away from that. It's electronic now. Yep. So you pay for that TN, you go through the whole the whole process of an interview and then you leave there with nothing. Empty handed. <laughs> yeah, so it is a little bit alarming. It is. But I think for people that have had TNs before, it's more alarming than people that are new to the process um, because they're used to getting a stamp in their passport with information and um, maybe even a paper I-94 stapled into their passport. And then they leave and they have nothing indicating who they're working for, any of that information. It is all in the system, though. So rest assured they have the information that they need. And you'll be issued that electronic one properly. And the, the best thing to do is check it as soon as you leave the, the border area. Make sure the information was entered correctly. Because if it wasn't, then you need to correct that. Yeah, you need to go to what's called deferred inspection and get yeah. it fixed. Yeah. But that happens a lot where CBP will make an error in the entry. Maybe they'll admit you as a visitor instead of a TN. Yeah. Maybe they you know, put the expiration date incorrectly, something like that. So yeah, pull it up immediately. Make sure that you were admitted correctly. Because mm -hmm. it's much easier to fix, like go back in and fix it right then and there than it is to leave and then try to do it later. This also applies to anybody that if you are in the United States right now and you're just curious about how you were admitted to the United States. Or how you, long you can stay. Or how long you can yeah. stay. You can take your passport, just Google CBP I-94 lookup, and then you'll you'll want to retrieve your most recent I-94 is what you'll click on. And then you click on that, you'll enter in your passport information, and it will pull up what your I-94 admission record says, if you have one. It'll, it'll tell you when you entered, and how long you're, you've been admitted for. So when you have to depart by. And it'll indicate your status. It, it might say B1, B2. It might say TD, L1. Uh, but that's how you verify what your status is and, and when your status expires. So good knowledge for anybody, yeah, not for, just TN. Right, yeah, visitors too. It's important. Here's one that, that came across my desk recently. Oh, you got another one you like there? Yeah, I got another one. Um, now I'm... Can I travel on my TN visa? So the general answer is yes. And we had a unique situation that came across, and that's why I want to talk about this one. The individual had left North America and had gone, I think it was to India, for an extended period of time. So when they came back in the country, CBP is like, hey, we want proof that you're actually still working for this employer. And they wanted pay statements, letter of employment to confirm that this individual was still maintaining their employment in the U.S., which is a valid concern and question if you've been outside the United States for an extended period of time. So in general, if you're traveling on a TN visa, there's nothing you need to do. If you're just going for short stays outside of the United States, maybe you're going back to Canada, Mexico, wherever it is that you're going, and you're just going back and forth, then you don't really need to carry anything with you. Now, if that stay goes beyond 30 days or an extended period of time, the border can then question whether or not you're actually maintaining your employment. And if you're not maintaining their employment, then you're not maintaining your TN, 
and then they don't have to readmit you on that TN. So if it's an extended period of uh, time outside of the U.S., it's safe practice to carry your most recent pay statements, showing that you're still on payroll, you're still getting paid. And if you want to be extra safe, carry a letter from HR or from your employer confirming that, in fact, you are still employed. So then if they do question you after extended travel outside the U.S. and you have a letter from your employer and pay statements with you, then they'll be satisfied that you are maintaining your status and they can readmit you, that you haven't abandoned that status. That actually ties into a call I got yesterday from an employer that was um, just terminated somebody on TN status. It's uh, another were, good FAQ. Yeah, that is actually. And I see that you have a type, you have, um, am I allowed to hold more than one visa classification in here twice? So maybe it can take that spot up there. Oh. Yeah. We'll have to... Fix that. Well, it's it's new. It's got some kinks in it, so we'll f- oh, work yeah, out the we'll work out the kinks and and perfect it over time. So that call I got yesterday was an employer um, who I just had to terminate somebody on a TN status, and they were concerned. And I think mainly because this employer is used to doing H one Bs, where there is protocol when you terminate someone on an H one B. I actually just had this happen too. Did so you good really? question. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's they were funny, like. I guess. The actual, so continue with yours and I'll add the nuance in what they asked me that if they had to do so. Okay. So they were concerned that there was some protocol that they had to follow in terminating the TN. Um, and we informed them that no, really, there is no obligation on the employer's part to report the termination to anybody. But if they were concerned about fraud and, and that this employee was possibly going to try to use this TN in a fraudulent way, they could call CBP or wh- wherever the port of entry was that this person obtained their status or if they didn't know where that was just called the closest cvp office and report um you know just know the information about the name when they started work and who you are as far as the employer goes and report that um she was pretty shocked that there was nothing that they needed to do it sounds like they didn't do a lot of tns um but also happy that there wasn't some kind of huge obligation on the employer yeah so that leads right into the one the question i had from an employer we helped uh, them get a TN for an employee. That employee had, I don't know what happened, but the arrangement terminated. And the employee was demanding, and this was a TN visa holder, huh. that the employer pay return cost of transportation oh, whoops. to their home country, <laughs> which is an obligation under an H-1B. It is, you yeah. are required as an employer to pay the return cost for trans, reasonable cost for return transportation to the home country yeah. of the individual, even if they quit. But not on a TN. A TN, you are under no such obligation. You do not have to pay anything. You do not have to pay them to return to their home country. So that does not apply to a TN. And on the H1B too, you have you're supposed to withdraw the approval. You're supposed to notify Department of Labor that they're no longer employed. So you, as an employee, are protected and are under no obligation to continue paying that individual. So there's there are a few more steps on an H one B. Certainly, none of those apply for a TN. But it also does not apply for an E visa, for example. A lot of people have that question about an E visa. If they have a an employee on under an E visa, there is no reporting requirement under that either. Right. It's but technically, I mean, once the once a person is terminated and that job is no longer, um, no, is yeah, void. their status is void. So um, this will catch up to them. So if you're concerned about this and we see this all the time, yeah. someone will they'll ask this question. It catches up to yeah, them because yeah. they'll, they may stay in the United States longer than they're supposed to after their employment. Well, then they try to, let's say, change status in the U S well, USCS is going to ask for proof that they maintain that employment. And if their pay statements are from a different employer or they can't provide the, 
proper amount of pay statements, well, they're going to get denied. Or if they go apply to consulate and they ask them when they're when they worked in the U.S. and when their employment terminated and they see it terminated mm-hmm. on such date, but they stayed till X date and wait, this person overstayed. Yeah, and they could get a three year bar or a 10 year bar or even fraud, depending on it. So it catches up to people. Right. So I think they can get away with it, but it catches up when we see it catch up a lot. It's true. So if you're an employee and you've been terminated or you quit and, and you think you just stay a little bit extra time on your TN, you know, think twice about that. Maybe give an immigration attorney a call and find out what the rules are with respect to your specific situation because, um, you know, you can impact your ability to come back to the U.S. in the future. Or maybe you've got a relationship and you want to apply for a green card later. You know, don't shoot yourself in the foot for future immigration possibilities by doing something silly now and, and overstaying or, you know, trying to work on a, on a different visa. And that's when it catches up to you is when you're applying for permanent residency or yeah. citizenship along oh, the way yeah. down the road. They are much more thorough when you're applying for permanent status in the U.S., and that's where they're going to catch you. And I swear it has, you know, now they've they've actually gone to electronic format. I don't know that we ever spoke about this. Um, we file a lot of our applications in paper format, and USCIS is now converting everything to yep. electronic format. Okay, so they're entering all of all of these filings yes. into the system electronically. And I personally think there's going to be algorithms or AI used here to identify and share stuff easier too, right? Right, but it's these inconsistencies, right, where formerly you needed a person's eyes to see that and, and see, oh, well, they said they had a kid in this application, in but this, this application, they said, no. they said they didn't have a child. They so said what's yes going here, on here and no here. But I think now computers are going to catch those inconsistencies, and it's going to be a lot harder to overcome them or um, depend upon person, you know, oversight of a person. Um, so I think they're going to catch a much higher percentage of those going forward. Yeah, I think you're right. I'd be surprised if they didn't start I mean, uh, and implementing that's, that. You stuff. know, that's even a better reason to use an immigration lawyer for your filing because any inconsistency like that can come back five, ten years down the road where you're trying to get your citizenship, and all of a sudden they're asking you questions about your green card application, and if you didn't do it exactly correctly with the information at the time, you know, there's a possibility you could get denied for citizenship. In some cases, you know, it could even impact your ability to keep the green card. So another good FAQ, tax season. We get a lot of questions around tax season. Well, FYI. You just want good tax advice today, don't you? Nope. (laughs) So (laughs) for everybody, we are not accountants. You want to go get your accounting designation. Yeah, no. Me and numbers don't go good together. Um, So no, we are not accountants and we do not give tax advice. But could you have an obligation to pay taxes while in the U.S. on a non-immigrant visa? Yeah, you might. But we're not going to advise you on that, and we can't because we're not accountants. <laughs> you don't but want that's our something, advice on that. No, you do not. Um, you need to make sure uh, that you are fulfilling your obligations, your tax obligations to Canada or to the U.S. An accountant is the proper person to ask that question, not us. Um, so make sure that uh, you are aware of any tax implications while working in the United States on a TN visa or under any other visa or even as a visitor or even as a non-resident u.s citizen living in canada um you still have an obligation possibly to file so 
check yeah, into that. Yeah, that's another and excellent point. So many times we, we start these family-based cases for U.S. citizens sponsoring their family members, and they've lived in Canada for a number of years, and we say, okay, we need a copy of your U.S. tax return. And they're like, what U.S. tax return? I haven't been filing taxes while I live in Canada. Um, and then they got to go back and retroactively file their tax returns. Happens all the time. Yep. So be aware of your obligation. If you've got any ties to the U.S., just check and see that you don't need to file. Yeah. So if you are sponsoring a spouse, you're going to have to provide, and this is whether or not you're using a joint sponsor. Okay. This is period. If you are a sponsor for your spouse, child, whatever it might be to come to the U S you're going to have to produce at a minimum your last three years of proof of filing federal taxes in the United States. So you cannot escape that obligation. And people, I think, misunderstand what filing means. They think that if they don't owe taxes, that they are not obligated to file. No, that's not what this means. This doesn't mean you owe money to the IRS, therefore you're obligated to file. No, filing, you're supposed to file a return with the federal government, whether you owe money or not, if you're, for, if you're not living in the United States. And again, an accountant will clarify this for you, and they'll provide you exact tax advice. But you're obligated to at least report what you're doing and you USCIS or the department of state or whoever you're filing your application with is going to want that proof when you get to this, the proper stage in the immigration process. Yeah. And, and if you're exempt from filing a return, cause there's lots of people that are exempt from filing returns, you file proof. Too, then you just file proof that you're exempt. So you just, you need to know what your, what your obligations are and you need to make sure you're keeping up with those. Yeah, if not, it'll come back to haunt you in the immigrant visa process Good, for yeah. sure. Totally. Uh, we see it all the time. And we've had, I've had cases stalled for, I think the longest I had one stalled because they were trying to figure out their back tax issues was three years. Oh my gosh. And they got frustrated with us because every year they would delay in doing it. And, and they're they like, and then we're like, guess what? <laughs> You're in the new tax year. So we, now we need this year's. Yeah. And now we need this year's. So like, wait, wait, I already gave you those. Yeah, last year. How about you hurry up with those taxes and stay current? Yeah. Because yeah. you're delaying your own case. So in if you file in, during one tax season and then another tax season comes up, well, you're going to have to show that you filed for the new one. By the time you get to that interview, they're going to want your updated taxes. Yep. Um, let's see. We'll do... So physical presence requirement on ATN. Random question. Is there a physical presence requirement? Are you required to be physically present in the United States on a TN visa? Well, I think there has to be an element of the requirement with respect to your role. So it can't be a fully remote position um, and you'll be eligible for TN because then what What do you need the visa for? Exactly. And that goes back to this, this client who contacted me who'd spent a lot of time outside the U.S. and was coming back in. They were like, wait a sec. If you're still working, prove it to us. Right. Right. Um, prove you haven't abandoned your status, but you also need to show that there is a actual need for you to be in the United States to perform some services. If what you're doing can be done completely remote, well, there's an argument you don't need a TN at all. So yep. just something to be aware of. So thanks for tuning in today to the Arrive podcast. Hopefully you found our conversation helpful. If you have any other questions about U.S. immigration law, feel free to reach out to us directly. Uh, by giving us a call or visiting our website or shooting us an email. Uh, you can also check us out on YouTube for informational videos about U.S. immigration law through our website. In our resources, 
most of these questions we discuss on here are answered through our resources on our website. So if you haven't already subscribed to our weekly newsletter with these updates, I would suggest that you do so. Thank you for listening and have a great day.